0: Welcome to the Upgroup Meet the Masters podcast series. I'm Adrian Blair and I'm talking to the winners of the 2021 Digital Masters Awards, giving you the chance to learn from the best operators in the world right now of high-growth digital businesses. Our guest today is Vicky Wills, who's CTO of the insurance business Zego. Vicky won the award for excellence in technology and I'm really looking forward to hearing today more about not just how Vicky works but how she's been so successful in her career across multiple companies like Beamly and Depop um, previously. Vicky, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks Adrian, great to be here.
0: Perhaps we can start with Zego, the product. What is it, why is it needed at this time with the gig economy taking off and and, um, all these trends that we see in the world around us?
1: Sure, Um, well Zego has quite an interesting um, Project Journey, it was founded in um, 2016 um, directly for the gig economy. So the founders were from Deliveroo, identified that Deliveroo were really struggling to sign up drivers. And that was because of the insurance. If you're a gig economy worker, you probably don't want to spend over a thousand pounds on an insurance policy when you don't have any guarantee of work and so that was where the by the minute insurance policy came from and the story goes at the time you know they were laughed out of the room by big insurers you know you can't can't possibly do that you can't sell insurance by the minute you're crazy but luckily we were just crazy enough to dig our heels in and go for it and obviously the, the first product's wearing incredibly successful and just, just beautiful from a product perspective. It served the need of part of like an ecosystem of the gig economy. It really served the riders um, and was a, was a great selling product for Zego as well. Um, and the technical integrations really powered that because I mean, you can plug straight into work providers and get automatic pings when shifts are coming on and off. You get data about the users as well. You can really create a great product. And from there, we've moved into the commercial lines, still in motor. Um, so we're in ride hailing as well. So we offer insurance for Uber drivers and the like. And from there, we've also moved into fleet Insurance, which is the big push um, at the moment in the company, because if you've sort of seen any news about Zico recently, you'll see that the fleet insurance we've, we're sort of expanding internationally. So the product set is quite broad from a technical perspective. When you boil that down to what are we actually building as a technical team, it follows that you need a platform to support all these different products. So we're building a sort of quite a powerful platform under the hood um, of insurance tooling. The data play is very big for Zigo We believe that the, the future of motor insurance is going to be highly connected and that we can assess risk far better with a rich picture of what risk a vehicles being exposed to. So, things like telematics technologies in there as well that we're developing. Then there's all the customer-facing pieces like the apps, the websites, fleet portals, and all the connected technology to the third parties as well. So, it's very rich as a technical landscape, which obviously as a technologist is incredibly exciting
0: the huge importance of data and assessing risk that feels uh, Mm. very core to to um, to business like zigo that i think all sits under you as cto right Mm -hmm. the the whole business intelligence team i've seen it sit in different places i've seen it in finance i had it for a while as of just eating in uh, in my team i've seen Mm -hmm. it in product organizations do you think it's particularly logical having it under the cto
1: So it's worth saying there are two different branches of data that we have. One is exactly, as you say, the sort of the the data play around understanding the risk um, and creating that underwriting advantage. And that mostly sits in our data science, data engineering um, teams. And they do sit under technology. I think absolutely that makes sense to sit um, with technology. The other option is to have a separate chief data officer role, which, you know, one day, absolutely, Um, we we might choose to to break that out. At the moment, it seems we're building the technical services from the ground up having a unified team is is working for us. The other side, as you say, is is the BI side, which is the insights for the business, which is quite a different problem. Yes, it boils back down to, you know, underlying data pipelines and tooling for for the teams to use to get the insights they need and an operational arm as well. BI, could I please have the numbers on XYZ and tickets flying left, right and center from people across the business requesting pieces of data so that they can do their work. I suppose the question is, where, where does that make sense in the business to sit? And my honest answer is I think that can sit in a number of places. As you say, I think it can sit under COO, CFO, CTO, CDO, CEO even. Um, I, I think it's one of those real hybrid functions. I and mean, in practice, um, how
0: do you do that piece at Zego?
1: So it does fall under technology at Zego, And in practice, um, we treat it in a similar way, actually, to how I treat my IT operations, team you know you are here for zigo your 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 customer base is the zigo business we will support you for technology as, as a manager of that function i'm there to make sure they've got everything they need and make sure they understand what what's required from a business perspective but i'm not there as a technology leader to build another part of, of the technology product to,
0: to organize that do you like embed them with different functions in the business so you have like a marketing Analysts mm. or finance analysts.
1: Yes, we we absolutely do. We've got an incredible leader um, in the BI space who has designed exactly that setup. So we have BI analysts who are directly aligned to parts of the product. They'll be sitting with product and engineering, bringing the insights. To that product development piece, we've got people sat with finance um, and commercial teams to help them understand the performance. We do have a tech arm of BI as well who are looking at that underlying machinery, making sure the data is consistent, reliable, timely um, and available in all the tools that people are going to need it in.
0: That relationship between the commercial functions and, and mm-hmm. technologies... Super, super interesting. And it's, it's a hard one to get right. You know, fiendish, I think we've, yeah. all seen it, we, we've all seen it not work. Um, yep. uh, maybe more times we've seen it work. <laughs> one place where certainly outside in it looks like it works incredibly well was Depop, where you had yes. you know marketing, technology, driving growth together, working very closely. You were obviously a big part of that at Depop. Can you tell us a bit about how, how it was done in that business so well?
1: I will say I'm a big advocate for product. A strong product team is the link between technology and commercial for me. And that can come in the form of product managers. At Depop, we had very strong product managers in the space and we were working as one team. Myself, I was lucky enough to work alongside a very good product manager and a very good growth manager. And, and as a trio, we were sharing in the same problems. And I think that's so important because a team is a team is nothing more than sharing a problem. So I, I would strongly recommend in making sure that that alignment is there. What value are we creating for who, and what are we testing? What that that sort of growth hacking mindset as well is really important. And if you think about
0: Depop and like specifically how how was it yeah. done there? How what, did What, it what made them <laughs> so good at it? Because you know I think in theory most businesses would agree you know product management is important and they should all work closely together, mm. but somehow in practice that doesn't seem to get it right. What was it specifically?
1: Um, Well, I will say I was there quite early on. And I would say one of the things that really set Depop up for the growth that we see in the company, you know, long after I've left um, doing incredibly well, cementing that culture early on, I think really helped the business. Cultural shifts in businesses are incredibly hard, especially as you get bigger. So having that product-led approach, having a very clear idea of what the customer wanted and the ability to experiment and work cross-functionally um, as well, because no one department has the answer. So I would say instilling that cross-functional working and that product so mindset you kind of early form on. Those habits,
0: yeah, early, it's a muscle to train, business, right? And yeah, yeah. And, and what's what's like in terms of Depop, like how? <laughs> what's examples of that? Is it, are we talking about products and identifying which products people really want to buy, that kind of thing, or you know, getting onto the latest trends using data? How are they doing it so successfully?
1: I mean, it, it was very organic at the time, which I think helped because we were all very immersed in the product itself. Yeah. It, was, it was a small company when I first joined, so you know, if you wanted to collaborate with marketing, you turned around and tapped somebody on the shoulder. At that scale, it is a bit easier. In terms of what we actually did, I, I think the we, we had a very good leader at the time, working quite cross functionally. He wasn't you know, technically responsible for any engineering teams, but he used to pull us in. So when there was a marketing campaign, when there was something we wanted to go after, experiment, um, we'd all be pulled into a room, oh, um,
0: be so told en- about the engineers that, themselves, not just... I was, yeah, I mean, I was an engineer yeah, at the time. Yeah. I, I
1: was a back-end engineer and it might not have been immediately obvious to pull me into a room and start telling me about marketing campaigns or growth targets or how many, you know, users we were attracting week on week. But I, I felt very connected to the metrics... Context of the business yeah. and I could connect my work back to it. And I think for, for me personally, that really helped me in my career as well, because it gave me that exposure to you know, coding is, is very difficult discipline and there's a lot of skills to be learned in that but the real power comes from when you connect it to the business and seeing those projects land and we got you know in true experimentation style we got as much wrong as we got right but being able to move through that and really understand what was landing and what wasn't Mm. was i think a really big turning point for me personally
0: yeah it's 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 amazing actually and and the 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 contrast i mean i I worked for a long time at google the contrast is quite striking because it it, google (laughs) as commercial people we were always told, you know, basically stay away from engineers. Really? <laughs> they're, they're, don't disturb they're, them. They're, they're, kind they're of terribly buff, sensitive. Buff paper, <laughs> don't disturb them, leave them alone. But, you know, I guess that meant they lacked all that context that, that you've been talking about.
1: I mean, this is a very personal view. I do question this putting engineers on pedestals approach and, you know, don't disturb them. They're, they're you know, terribly busy and important people because I think, you know, as engineers, we, we solve problems. And that connection into other functions is is so vital. And maybe it's because I've seen more of the startup end of the spectrum where, you know, you are building it from scratch. It doesn't exist until you build it. And at that point, you can't disconnect your engineering team, not successfully.
0: If you think team structure overall in your function, you've gone from a small business, you've gone through multiple phases of growth to, yeah. to something much larger and international. How has the structure of the team kept up with that and, and evolved over over that time
1: yeah when I joined it was tiny compared to where it is today and I think the real thing for technology teams especially is to make sure that you're mapping to the business needs which basically makes sure you're mapping to product they're laying down the you know the vision the direction and what are we wanting to build or what problems are we wanting to solve rather for for our users What's yeah. what's like
0: the specific example of that Antigo, and how that's changed over time
1: Sure. So, um the way we've mapped to the to the product is to literally look at those different business lines that I was talking about earlier and make sure we've got engineering squads dedicated into those spaces with the right skill sets for the types of product that we're building.
0: So, so you have the full skill set within the squad that it needs exactly. to, to deliver code.
1: Basically. Exactly. Well, the way I like to think about technology is that, especially at ZEGO, is that we've got all these different disciplines. So, data scientists, software engineers, systems engineers, security specialists, QA engineer, whatever it is, you know, these are all highly skilled technical individuals and we bring them together in cross-functional squads depending on what's needed in that area of the business. So, for our business units, um, we see a lot of focus on maybe sort of product design, front-end engineering to build the websites, the apps, the portals, um, and embedding them directly, going back to the, the point we we're making right up top, you know, putting them as close to the business problem as you possibly, possibly can. Um, and then we've got our domain teams in the platform, and that's where we might find more data scientists working on um, event classification or back-end engineers working on a policy management system. In the it this with,
0: with that sort of structure, the, the, the typical thing that happens is if you define all the bits of your business that you would like to have a squad to support, you've always got more of those than you have squads. <laughs> I don't think you will ever have enough engineers for any business. So, <laughs> so, so obviously where, where the rubber hits the road, and, and I guess you know the reason sea level type people ultimately exist, is you have to make these trade-offs intelligently. How have you gone about that at Sego, at, at both um, successfully or unsuccessfully?
1: <laughs> I think this is its probably a learning curve I'm still on, to be honest, because I, I, I still sit down and draw the perfect setup and then do the maths and think, well, OK, well, that's uh, three times and you've got, yeah exactly. we have to. It doesn't matter how big the team is. It, it's incredible. The, the real thing there is what is actually important here. If we do nothing else this year but deliver XYZ, what are, what is XYZ? Stripping that back and really digging into the why usually helps you prioritize. Well, I'm afraid we're not going to be building this because for an engaged business, you're never short of requests um, for, oh, we'd love to build this tool or we've had to think about this, we want to change the website like this, whatever it is, right across the business. And it does take discipline to say, these are the important things. Therefore, that's where we're investing the team.
0: What you often see is to help with that sort of problem, a CEO will have their chief product officer and CTO and get sick of helping them to make these trade-offs and just say, <laughs> I just want to have one person. I just want to have a chief product and technology yeah. officer. It's obviously not the way you do it at um, at Ego. What are your thoughts on, on that, on, on these as separate roles versus one unified role?
1: Personally, I don't like the combined role. I mean, again, let's not say it can't work. I, I've met some incredible CTPOs and, and they can balance it. I, I quite like that tension and I like somebody to work against in the product role because I, I kind of see product as being my bridge to commercial and, and keeping me honest.
0: Very well. One of the other sort of classic problems um, is basically commercial people want dates. They want, you know, when are we going to get this thing to sell to our customers? And, you know, be as specific as you can. Don't say, you know, late 2022, say the 22nd of October (laughs) or whatever. Um, And, you know, because of the way modern engineering teams work, it doesn't necessarily lend itself to that sort of specificity. How do you resolve that sort of tension in in practice?
1: Working in, you know, whatever framework you want to call it, agile or whatever methodology cannot be a get-out-of-jail-free for not being clear on what value you're delivering and when. You might not know exactly how you're going to do things if you're learning as you go along, or you might run experiments that don't work. You you should have clarity and regular delivery of value. If the answer is no, there needs to be a really good reason. In a product-led organisation, Product is responsible for co-designing the commercial strategy with the commercial teams. And at that point, that's where those worlds collide. That's when you need to have high clarity on like what's going to be available and when, what are we prioritizing and how are we bringing rather than one side of the fence demanding things and another side of the fence, you know, failing to give delivery dates. And that's good. So, it's, it's, so the commercial
0: strategy isn't formed in a dark <laughs> yeah, room one room over like. there it's, and it's, technology's it, in another room. It's very much <laughs> yeah. a team.
1: Exactly, very much exactly. Team and that's out. why I mean, I'm banging on about product a lot on this
0: podcast, aren't you? But I think that's where product really yeah. comes into its own good product. I totally agree about you know, the importance of product management as a function in its own right and, and all, all the good reasons it needs to exist. Mm. What you also see, certainly we saw in spades at Google, is innovation... Coming out of the engineering team, it, yeah. you know, engineers on the front line coming up with stuff that no one else in the organization would, would ever have come up with. Um, and you know, certainly at Google, this was something the company just kept on managing to do. Maybe one of the reasons why engineers were placed on, <laughs> on, on such a pedestal. Mm. H- how do you go about sort of balancing that with the need to just, as you say, deliver value day to day? It's a really interesting point
1: because I think it is. It is a misconception I think about product roles in startups that they're the ones that get to decide everything. Actually, for me, a a good product function—they're facilitators, they're educators, they're out there understanding the problems and bringing those insights back to the team. They're not necessarily knowing exactly what to do all the time and when. Um, And just as you say, you know, an engineer might have an incredible idea that nobody else in the organisation could. Same is true of somebody in a sales team. You know. We have people on the phones to our customers in our customer support team, you know, have incredible insights into what, where this product needs to go. And I I really, again, think that's, you know, a good product manager brings that to the fore and goes, yes, that's that's exactly what I want to prioritize next. Let's go.
0: And do do you have specific, I don't know, processes or routines that help to to maximise that, rather than just kind of leaving it to serendipity and, and hope this stuff happens.
1: No, I think the it, it really depends on the different teams we have at the moment because of you know it is it's at a point now where Zico is quite quite large. Um, as I say, the cross functional piece is key for me, making sure that for a part of the business you've really looked at who who's involved end to end in this whether it's a business line or it's a domain service or it's a very you know technical data pipeline whatever it is making sure that you've identified the key players and then setting up your your ceremonies and processes around that so things like you know in a business unit you might expect regular user research interviews with the customer service team um, and uh, hopefully a very strong link with your engineers if you're a product manager as well that's kind of Is a given, so it's that it's that constant tussle between enough process to make sure that we're organised and we're efficient, but not so much that we stifle ourselves and the ability to learn and and change direction.
0: If you think about change in this world generally, for technology management, you've seen it over a number of businesses, you've seen it over a number of years. You're doing it, obviously, right now in Mm -hmm. 2022. We've had COVID, you we've had all kinds of technological change over that time. How is it different now? Being part of an engineering team compared to what it was maybe five years ago.
1: One of the biggest things about technology is that it doesn't it doesn't stand still, and it is it's a very young discipline as well. Um, it's not something that's been around for for decades and decades in its current form, and people know exactly how to do X. There are you know run books for everything. Yet, like I think as an industry. By its nature, it has to be constantly evolving and learning. You know, if I think back to early on in my career, product managers weren't really a thing. Um, And things like user research, all those things were, were emerging. Um, I think the tooling has changed enormously, then obviously with COVID, the remote working piece. I think I read the other day that something like eighty percent of engineers won't consider roles where there's no remote working opportunities now. That that wasn't even a thing. I can speak for, for my team are uh, uh, very dispersed uh, across the UK and we're pushing into Europe as well now. So it's it's quite exciting to see And when you say when change. you say
0: dispersed you, you you mean not in necessarily one or two main hubs, but they could be completely remote anywhere. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we we're in engineering at Zego now. We we hire with a remote first um, sort of mentality, so we are set up for remote working. We we call it flexible first at Zego, which for me um, translates as you're an
0: adult. Make sure the work gets done. How are you actually finding the talent? Because you know, if you're remote first, it means in theory you can hire an engineer in you know Vienna or, mm. or Johannesburg or anywhere you want. But well, we've got an
1: amazing internal talent acquisition team at Zigo, And I have to say, partnering really closely with them and making sure there's a joint understanding of what it is you're really looking for. Make sure they're going out and finding the right talent and that the situation is workable.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So you came into you came Zigo with long experience. You'd been at Beamly, OpenDesk, Depot. You'd had long experience as an engineer before you became CTO at Zigo. Would you say it's really important if you're going to be a CTO that you've been an engineer for a long time beforehand
1: that's a it, it's a big question from what i've seen of the industry CTO can be quite a wide ranging role so i think a blanket statement of you have to have been an engineer, I wouldn't necessarily subscribe to that. Obviously, my background is in engineering, and the roles I've gone into as a result in the management space have been very technical. And I would say the type of roles that I've taken, I've certainly benefited from having an engineering background. I think there's different demands of CTOs in different companies. Sometimes it can be you know, quite a commercial role. Sometimes it can be quite a business strategic type role. Sometimes it is building core technology, like in the roles that I've tended to, to fall into. So I wouldn't say as a blanket rule, but I think if you're going to lead very technical, Technical teams, it definitely helps to have an engineering background.
0: Sometimes it does happen that, you know, someone becomes a CTO who maybe has come from product management, gets Mm. the CTO piece added to their role, maybe doesn't have a computer science background. What sort of advice would you have for someone like that?
1: I think the main piece of advice would be to really listen and to ask the right questions of your team. Mm. So even if you don't understand a topic deeply, you can always ask your team, you know, I want you to tell me how you're approaching this problem. I want you to brief me on what your solution is, what your plan is around this, because even though you might not have the knowledge to come up with the plan from scratch yourself, it's not necessarily your role to do so. But it is your role to understand what your team are doing and to make sure that that's providing value to the business.
0: One thing I've always struggled with as a non-engineer is interviewing, assessing people in senior engineering roles. Like if I'm ever asked to interview a CTO candidate or a director of technology candidate, as a commercial person it can be it can be challenging any tips around that and how to really spot who's going to be a good one
1: i mean again i'm going to sort of lean on the it depends on what you're looking for in the role obviously If, if you're interviewing a cto presumably it's because you're going to be working very closely with them and you know your business you know what type of approach you'd like to see from technology you know what type of results and what value really means from that area and i think at that point interview interview along those lines Am I going to get on with this person? Do I like their approach? Can I talk to them? Can they explain a technical concept to me in a way that I can understand it? That is so, so important. And I think as CTOs, it is one of the biggest parts of our jobs is to communicate across the business and make sure we're building those relationships with commercial teams, operational teams, finance teams, whatever it might be. You know, we don't live in a black box. <laughs> for
0: people. Just finally, what one, one thing I noticed from your background is um, you're a musician, an aspiring a professional pianist at one point uh, are there any relationships between that and what you do in the day job as a uh, as an engineer are these completely separate things for me i think music weirdly was my
1: link into being an engineer i happened to go to a university explained day and computer science was there and they they did a talk and I went, oh that looks really cool and the thing that i think is the link is you know as a musician you're you're creating sort of artistic pieces from these very logical constructs. And I do see that translation into coding. I think coding is, you know, people who who aren't technical will walk past an engineer's screen and see all the text flying around and all the sort of very complicated looking things. But actually, when you boil it down, they're, they're a set of base constructs, just the same as notes on a piano. And all you're doing is combining them, structuring them and creating software from them. And to me, there's something... There's something quite beautiful about that in both music and in programming. That sort of
0: creation. So it's like the same bit of the brain, or something that that's involved in art. Is that?
1: Yeah. Yes, I, I, I think so. There's papers on this that you can that you can read as well, looking at between um, people who are writing um, computer software and and painting a picture. It's the same parts of the brain that's firing because it is that. It's the union of the logical and the creative. Um, so I, I really yeah I really subscribe to that, that idea that it's that there's more overlap with with art and music than you think mm-hmm. in computer programming.
0: Vicky, it's been such a pleasure listening to you going through your unusual but quite <laughs> inspiring experience. It's been incredibly insightful. Thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you so much, Adrian.